previously on the Sports Refuge Podcast. Like I said, Philly never won in the Super Bowl. No one really knows about that. Everybody knows that the Cubs haven't won one in 100 years. Set your coordinates and lock in your location because it's time for the Sports Refuge Podcast. This is the meeting place to talk sports, pop culture, and everything in between. And now, here's your host, Earl Holland. Welcome to the Sports Refuge Podcast. I'm your host, Earl Holland. This is a show where I sit down with guests and talk about their connection to sports. Linwood Outlaw is a diehard Baltimore sports fan cheering for both his hometown Ravens and Orioles. But when it comes to basketball, Linwood's fandom takes a detour towards the city of brotherly love. In the first portion of this interview spread across two episodes, Linwood and I discuss how he became a Philadelphia 76ers fan, some of his favorite players, and a comparison of Allen Iverson and LeBron James. Outlaw also gives his take on the super team era of the NBA, an outlook on this year's Sixers squad, and the evolution of the game of basketball and a de-emphasis of the big man. Right now, here's part one of my interview with Linwood Outlaw. Here with me on this week's show is a good friend of mine I've known since college. Our days back at the University of Maryland Eastern Shore is Mr. Linwood Outlaw. How are you today, Linwood? I'm doing all right, man. How you doing? I'm doing all right. That's good. Good to hear. Always good to hear. So, Linwood, you have a very interesting background as a sports fan. You are from Baltimore, Maryland, and mm-hmm. while you cheer for a lot of the Baltimore teams, the Ravens, the Orioles, you mm-hmm. are uniquely a Philadelphia 76ers fan. How did yeah. that happen? <laughs> I get asked that question all the time, man. It, it goes back to my favorite player of all time is Charles Barkley. Right. So he started out his career as a 76ers fan. That was my favorite all-time player. Still is to this day. So I grew up just following him in his career. Um, when he got traded to Phoenix, I tried to be a Suns fan because he was there, but it just it just didn't feel the same. So and then I was pretty much, I guess you would say like a neutral basketball fan as a young kid, but I was still a Sixers fan at heart. And then, you know, my second favorite player came along, Allen Iverson, and I just became wrapped up into the team all over again and it's just pretty much has just been that way just my whole life man it started back as a kid i made that first connection with charles you know and then once Allen came along that was my second favorite player of all time and those are my two favorites bar none and um i just became a fan and just stuck with him ever since man so it's been a lifelong thing like i said i went to the sons my grandmother bought me a son's jersey <laughs> i tried to get on board with that but it just wasn't happening man i couldn't get on board with it that's my basketball team man i'm a little fan you know and that's who i ride for I know they are like very, very contrasting styles. Of course, Barkley, lunch pail type of player, would go to work, get the rebounds, get those points. And then Iverson, a completely different style, the crossover quickness, the speed, the heart, the determination. How do you feel those two players, while different styles, enamored themselves to Philly fans? I think obviously I had lunch pail uh, type of mentality as well. You know, um, I mean, say what you want about his practice habits, how he interacted with coaches. I mean, he was a controversial player to be kind. But I think that when he was on the court in the heat of battle during games, he gave it his all. He gave it 110 percent all the time to me. I personally have never seen a game that I've played in which he just did not give 100 percent. Maybe other people have. I haven't. And I feel like uh, with Charles, Charles was a guy who I think, I mean, look, you know, if you want to consider him, he basically was an undersized player at his position, but played bigger than the game, you know. And I mean, he just played with the best of them at a not so ideal height. It was rugged, made it as big an impact on the game as anybody. And I think that they both had personalities that you just couldn't help but be fascinated by. 
And on the court, they just gave the kind of effort you couldn't help but admire. I felt like those guys were natural born competitors. And that's what drew me to them. I think a lot of guys are born to guys that, that win a lot of championships, right? Like Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant. And those guys are great. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to take anything from them. But, you know, for me, um, I also like and respect above all that competitive spirit that competitive fire you know i think a lot of you know some friends think it's weird i like guys that never you know won championships but hey man those are my, my guys and my players and i feel like they did things on the court that would be respected it's funny about Allen iverson people tend to forget that team he took to the finals it was sort of like the early days and i hate having to compare this it's probably one of the few times you'll hear me say LeBron James, but look at the early LeBron James Cleveland teams, and I compare them to that one Sixers team that went to the finals that basically that Iverson dragged to the finals. I feel mm-hmm. like that Iverson doesn't get that much respect when it comes to carrying a team. He carried that team. You know, he had an older Matumbo, and, and some of those other guys were not big-name players. There was no Scottie Pippen. There was no Clay Thompson, Chris Bosh, Dwayne Wade, and things like that, or Shaq or Kobe, depending on which perspective that you have about those tandems. Iverson carried that team, and I feel like that sort of gets uh, overlooked, especially nowadays everybody looks at LeBron being the guy who carries some of these guys that really shouldn't be on the team uh, to the finals. Yeah, I mean, I hear that comparison a lot. I heard it a lot during this past finals run, man. Like, when I first heard it, I just kind of laughed a little bit because it's like, to me, I feel like Iverson carried a team that, it's hard to say, man, because to me, on the outside looking in, it's like he he basically was the engine for that team. He carried that team all the way around. I think a lot of people, a lot of knocks on Iverson is that he he was, you know, difficult to play with. A lot of people had to adjust their styles. Well, to me, I feel like you have to do that with LeBron James. Take Kevin Love, for example. Kevin Love, playing alongside LeBron James, wasn't the guy he was in Minnesota, okay? And I think that the portrayal at times is just that he's not rising to the occasion. No, an adjustment playing with LeBron. And it's all in perception. I think that sometimes you just have to make sacrifices in your game to play with him. And yeah, those sacrifices will pay off in the long run. But the bottom line is that I think that whenever you play along a great player, you have to adjust and sacrifice. That's just the name of the game. And I think that with Iverson, it's easier to portray that in a negative light versus LeBron. Because LeBron is a guy who has the ability to make teammates better and things of those. So it's not easy playing next to him. And the most difficult part is that when the team fails, you're going to be to blame for it. And I think that LeBron fans have a hard time accepting that at times, but it's true. You know, and I respect the hell out of LeBron James. I do. I think he's a great player. But he had way more talent on this year's team that he dragged, quote unquote, to the finals as opposed to the one that Iverson had. I mean, Iverson didn't have a legitimate secondary scoring option. If you ask me, I think Kevin Love was a legitimate second scoring option to me. Okay, and then you had other options on the team like Jeff Green and guys that should be able to play well. The guys that they made trade for was Jordan Clarkson and uh, I forget who else it was. I, but I think Larry Nance. Yeah, they, they, they had a lot of, of talent on Cleveland. I can't tell you why those guys didn't raise their game or rise to level of expectation or whatever it was. But the bottom line is that I think that LeBron was dealing with a significantly more talented team than what Iverson was dealing with. Because I think that whenever they needed points, they had to turn to him. And it seemed that way with LeBron. But I think also LeBron seemed a little too willing at times just to do everything. And I think that, you know, when, when you play off a guy who demands the ball so much, it can be 
be difficult to play with him. It can be difficult to find yourself, especially in the postseason. So, I mean, that comparison to me is laughable to this year's team. I think that it was more surprising they took the team in 07 to the finals than the team he took to the finals this year. And I also think that, you know, frankly, he was complacent with just getting there. I think he was, he was just happy to be there. It was like, okay, job's done. You know, I know that my numbers are going to speak for themselves. But yeah, that, I think it was more impressive what Iverson did in 01 compared to what LeBron James did this past season. Yeah, and I also think looking at this team and ever since LeBron came back, LeBron has basically been the GM. Everybody can say what they want. Uh, David Griffin and the current GM, they were all GM in name only. LeBron had big control over that roster. Those early teams where Danny Ferry was running the front office and putting that team together, those were the times where, yeah, like you said, 07. That's comparable to what Iverson did in that finals against the Lakers. But other mm-hmm. than that, I agree with you. If LeBron James, I don't know why he's so polarizing. I don't hate him. He works hard and he's one of the most durable players in the NBA. But other than that, I have players that I don't like. And one of them is now playing for one of my favorite teams, Dwight Howard. <laughs> you know what? I think that it was a good move for Dwight. I don't know how it's going to work out. But listen, I think he's an upgrade from Gortat. Uh, and he got him at a reasonable price. So let's say even if it was just a complete and total fail, he's on a reasonable contract. They can move him midseason easily, I think. You know, for a team that's just, I don't know, just looking to add a body or whatever. But it, it's an interesting sign. It's funny how Dwight and LeBron are intertwined. And I, I, like I said, I feel like I'm going past my quota because I, I really don't like talking too much about all this LeBron stuff. But yeah. really, LeBron really didn't get that highly scrutinized until he didn't shake Dwight Howard's hand. None of that other stuff. Him um, not showing up in the game against the Celtics in that finals after the supposed Delonte West stuff occurred. Nobody said anything there. It was him not shaking Dwight Howard's hand. And that sort of started that sort of going to a wrestling reference, the Hulk Hogan S turn to the dark side all of a sudden. Uh, I mean, the same thing. You look at it, the colors. The, he went from red and yellow to the black. <laughs> and then he came back. It sort of has a pro wrestling heel face turn type connotation to it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I remember that day. I personally didn't like it when he entered the White House hand. I think that, but I also understood that LeBron was very young. Was he, I'm, I'm just guessing, like maybe like 25, maybe around that time. And he was just a young man. I think that, I think when you're still that young, you're still prone to, to, to make mistakes. Even though his explanation, it was kind of funny because on some level, I did understand what he was saying. He said, like, if you know, if you, uh, if you get beat down in a boxing match, you don't want to shake your opponent's hand, even though boxers shake hands all the time at the end of bouts, right? But I understood what he was saying. But I see what you're saying. Um, I just think that LeBron does a lot of curious things. I think that to me, I didn't like coming back to Cleveland, delivering a championship, then deciding, okay, you know what, I can't really, you know, tolerate playing with Dan Gilbert, so I'm going to go and just go to the Lakers and try to bring them a championship. I think that he picked a not-so-ideal time to join L.A., and I think that it would have been better for him to join L.A. around the time that he went to Miami. You know, but I think now, I mean, he's, he, however, I don't, listen, he keeps himself in great shape, but I think it's clear that he's moving towards the end of his career. So I think that things become less known about what he's going to be able to produce from this point forward. But I think he just does things in a, in a way that are curious at times. You know, I just think that it would be nice for him to, to go back home and stay in Cleveland. I think it would be nice to see that, but he has the right to go wherever he wants to go. I don't think he ever really had to go back to Cleveland at all. I think the letter that, that Dan Gilbert wrote was reason enough for him to never go back. 
if it was about owing the city of Cleveland a championship, he would have stayed in Cleveland until he accomplished that goal. I think he just felt like he had to make up for how he presented his decision to Miami and things like that, which was done in poor taste. The pre-championship parade he had the day after the decision was done in poor taste. I mean, I think that the interview that he cut before, was it before the finals when he, you know, he admitted that he tried, he told them to keep Kyrie, which I don't think was entirely truthful. I think he may have said it, but I don't think he really said it with any real belief because I think it was all a part of his grand exit plan. This is something I actually wanted to touch on in a piece I wanted to write about LeBron. But I think that that's really what it is. I think that LeBron is a great player. I think that he conducts himself very well off the court. He deserves a lot of credit for that. And I think that he's a great athlete and he sets a great example on the court. But I think that, you know, he doesn't do everything right. Like all of us, we all don't do everything right. Right. But I think that, you know, there are some things that give you pause. It's like, uh, why does he have to do that this way? You know, I get that that it's his life and his career and things like that. You know, he doesn't like the fact that, that some people will hold him accountable for the super team era. I do. I think that it set a bad precedent for the NBA and it gave players uh, um, the will to just, you know, make it all about them. But in reality, the NBA is an entertainment business. And I mean, like if fans are saying they don't like they're only being like three or four good teams a year and everybody wanting to be in L.A. or Miami or somewhere with lots of palm trees and sun. I mean, that's a legitimate to me, a legitimate gripe. You know, players don't seem to care about it because they want to make, oh, it's about them and the money and their happiness. You know, they don't want to be invested in what fans think about the product, but they want us to be invested in totally support over their happiness. So I think LeBron has had a lot to do with it. I've had discussions on Facebook about how it's a different era as opposed to just even 30 years ago. Just looking at some of those teams in the 90s, the Blazers, those Lakers teams, the Pistons, the Bulls, a lot of those teams were built through the ground up. Sometimes, yeah, you make some shrewd trades to get guys, like the Bulls making a trade with the Sonics to get Scottie Pippen. It's things like that, but they built their roster through the ground up. Those Blazers that went to the finals twice, they were, from the mid-80s on, were built up to go to the finals. The Rockets from the mid-90s. Olajuwon, everybody forgets about the one time the Rockets went to the finals in the 80s against the Celtics with Olajuwon. People forget about that. It's like everything, you know, you know the Celtics won the final, but nobody remembered that they played the Rockets. Yeah, a lot of those teams, the Knicks, yeah, it's looking back at those teams, they were built from the ground up. They were a young team, no super teams, and some of the trades were made within reason and logic. Yeah, I know somebody will say the Showtime Lakers, but it's just so much information, and I'm like a transaction junkie, so I'm always looking at how these teams are built. Some of these other teams made stupid trades with draft picks. Like, for example, yeah. the Cavaliers in the early days, the Sepian rule where you can't trade draft picks in consecutive years, that led to the Pistons getting better. The, the Warriors doing a stupid trade, that had led to the Celtics getting better. That built the Celtics dynasty. There was another trade that gave the Lakers James Worthy, basically, and I think that was Cleveland too. True trades are always going to happen. It, you know, everybody wanting to join together and band together, it's, it's something completely different. Yeah, and I mean, you know, listen, I think when the Warriors signed DeMarcus Cousins, that all of a sudden was too much for certain people, especially like the newfound Laker fans, the ones that are now, you know, new to the Laker family and they're now, you know, diehard Laker supporters. You know, it's like, oh, whoa, 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 what is this? Come on, man, this is unfair. Like, I saw a lot of outrage, but in my mind, I'm thinking like, really? Like, this is going on for for a while now and I think now all of a sudden this is just too much it's just funny at times what's the tipping point for certain fans and, and certain you know analysts and spectators and things like that and to me the DeMarcus Cousins signing wasn't that big a deal because first I heard reports that he wasn't going to be available until like maybe 
December, January. Now I'm hearing it might be like closer to March. So I'm like, really, at the end of the day, like when I heard like that, that it could be that late that he returns, like right before the playoffs. I'm like, well, really, what was the point of even going to go to state? But who knows when he's going to come back? He could be back sooner than later. He could be back way sooner than anyone expected. I don't know. I think that when I step back and I really, you know, assess his reasoning for joining them, it makes sense. I mean, you take a one year deal. For his standards, it was pretty low salary. But, I mean, listen, if you go there and win a championship, prove that you're healthy, you know, you make it worth your while, I kind of understood that. And I think there's always a question of how he fits in. And I think that when you're in a system and you're playing with other guys, fire the ball, like obviously you're playing next to, to me, the second best player in the league, and Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, um, an electric offensive player, um, Clay Thompson, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, like, you find out exactly what kind of player you are when you're forced to play in a system. So I think that that in of itself, I mean, on paper, yeah, it may seem like like a lot and it may seem insurmountable but it's all about how things fit in but you know i think that teams are getting better around the league the thing that just annoys me is how everybody wants to to be in a, a big market all of a sudden you know and it, it just makes it difficult in small teams almost to the point of like why do these teams even exist you know if everybody just want to play in the major cities or the major markets I, I never really understood that and you know when teams willfully join up i mean it's like okay if i'm going to watch three First team legitimate all NBA players on one team, right? Maybe four. How can you really expect a different outcome to what it is barring injury? So I think that's really all there is. I think the NBA still has a great product, but I think that players should should not be so sensitive when fans voice their concerns about certain things because sometimes, a lot of times, they have a good point. The NBA players are more fan-friendly than maybe some athletes in other sports. They're always accessible on social media and things like that. You feel like that would be really one of their greatest strengths, but they seem to like shoot themselves in the foot when it comes to the quality of competition after that. Nobody's going to want to keep seeing the same finals year after year. I guess, thankfully, we won't see Cleveland versus Golden State. We don't even know who will be coming out of the East. I mean, yeah. Well, we know it's not Cleveland, and I don't think the Lakers are coming out of the West. LeBron can do all he wants, but he doesn't have the horses. He's sort of sucking another Cleveland situation right now until he gets another star and I don't think you know right now it could be it's pretty much Golden State Golden State Houston or bust that's it yeah it's gonna be interesting to see who comes out of the east that's gonna be fun very fun if I had to bet money on it I'll probably say Golden State is going to go back to the NBA finals I mean, this LA situation, we'll see. I mean, they have a lot of guys on that roster. They have a lot of talent. And we'll see how it all comes together. You know, people are taking, you know, big improvements from like Kyle Kuzma and Lonzo Ball and things like that. And it'll be an interesting dynamic. You know, people are saying LeBron wants to play off the ball more. So that may be, you know, that may help, you know, LeBron and Lonzo play better if, if Lonzo's just going to run the point. Uh, which is what I expect. I expect them to be the full-time point guard for their team. So we'll see. And you never know what they might do in midseason. You know, maybe, you know, Toronto is like, yeah, you know what, Kawhi Leonard is not feeling it. He ain't coming back. Let's just go ahead and just, you know, bite the bin. Let's let's send him to L.A. and see what, what kind of assets we get. I'm not ruling that out at all because I, I saw the picture they took with Toronto executives. And, I mean, dang, it looked like they couldn't pay the man to smile wide enough. I, I don't know what it was. It just seemed like a, a, a fake you know, picture. And I just I just think that he's really begrudging being in Toronto because he wants to be in L.A. like every other player, it seems. So we'll see what L.A. does. But I think that right now it's probably going to be Golden State and, and a lot of people are picking Boston. I guess that's a real possibility, again, barring injury. But, yeah, it's going to be real interesting to see what's going on out east because it's wide open now.
Now, turning to your Sixers, a very interesting season, to say the least. They finally got over the stages of the process, made it to the playoffs, had a really heartbreaking series against the Celtics, and then leading into this whole offseason with the Brian Colangelo stuff, him, the burner accounts, and things like that. How could you best, as a fan, evaluate this season the Sixers had? To me, it was a complete success. I mean, look, I think we won with, I'm guessing here, like maybe 30... Won 32 games the previous year and then to win 52 games. And mind you, this is the first year that Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid played together, right? I was not expecting 52 wins coming to the season. I was hoping for something like maybe 40. I wasn't even quite sure we want to get into the playoffs. But to win 52 games, to win something like, was it, uh, 17 consecutive games toward the end of the regular season, to win a first-round uh, playoff series, those were all steps in a positive direction. They all were. And I think that it was a complete success because I don't think that anyone really had any serious expectations for the team. I was expecting to be just a rebuilding year. I just wanted to see where Ben was. I wanted to see where Joel was. I wasn't expecting us to go on the run that we went on. I was impressed and I was surprised in a lot of ways. The series against Boston, I mean, listen, I was expecting to win it just from the standpoint that they were shorthanded. They didn't have Kyrie. They didn't have Gordon Hayward. But I think that in the long run, it'll be good for us if we use that failure to our advantage. Yeah, it sucked watching that. It sucks whenever you use a playoff series, period. But the bottom line is, is that you got to use disappointment to get better. And I, I see a various with Ben can get better, obviously, with shooting outside shooting, developing some kind of shot, which I think really is all he needs at this point um, to really continue to climb up the ladder of success. Um, obviously, with Joel, number one, staying healthy proving his conditioning because man if he comes in with peak conditioning he can be a scary player on both ends of the floor you know this year we didn't get like a Kawhi Leonard LeBron uh, decided to go to LA rather than join Philly which is what I was expecting but then we're going to have to focus on improving from within I personally not a big fan of the trade they made on draft night when they traded uh Michael Bridges and I believe they made deal with the Suns for why is his name not come to me I forget the kid was but the bottom line is I didn't like the trade think that it's a bad precedent and it's a bad taste. I think Mike Bridges was kind of piece that we needed, but sometimes you kind of have to gamble and roll the dice and put yourself in a position to get those kinds of players. And I think that the pick that they got from Miami was basically an unprotected pick, which could be a lottery pick, much like the one we got from the Lakers, get Michael Bridges initially draft. It, it could pay dividends or put you in a position to land another piece somewhere down the road. So, you know, some moves you don't understand right away. I didn't, I personally didn't like the trade, but it is what it is. Um, we didn't have the kind of offseason I was hoping for. Yeah, losing to Boston, especially that second game in Boston, the third game back at home. I think we could have won game five, which is the one that sealed it for us. But, you know, you have to learn from that. I think if you look at disappointment and use that to fuel you, which is what I'm hoping our guys are doing, then that will help you in uh, future years. So that's what I'm hoping for. And I'm also, you know, obviously coming to the season, I want to see what Markel folks can give us. Hopefully that'll be, you know, something that we can build on because if he can come in and give us something, that gives us a whole new dynamic altogether. And I think that maybe people start looking at the team differently. Since I moved to Northern Delaware, all I get is... Philadelphia sports, Sixers games, and things like that. Watching them progress, they've had that heart since they were basically stripped mine down and, and all the injuries started with Embiid getting hurt and then Simmons getting hurt. They would fight, they would scrap, they would play. They were truly a team that Philadelphia could get behind, but just the fact that they lost a battle of attrition, people would get hurt. Covington would get hurt. McConnell would get hurt. Things like that. You know, Eventually, I think that was a learning experience for those guys who had played, looking back even four years ago, playing 
playing those games where they would only win, you know, barely 11 or 12 games. And I feel like that helped a lot of those guys, especially as you add a healthy Embiid or a nearly healthy Embiid, a Simmons, and then, of course, a Sark. And eventually, once Fultz gets out there, uh, th- that'll play uh, dividends as well. And it felt like the biggest thing that I saw with them, they had the heart. It was the basketball IQ that, that needed work. There were times they would make ridiculous mistakes, but I felt like with experience, those things will change. And then some of that youth showed up in that Boston series. Some some mistakes that, that should have been made, like that inbound pass, that really changed the whole outcome of that fifth game. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I think it's yeah. just something that they just have to learn through repetition and through experience and that Brett Brown would have to crack down on. And I feel like, and I understand that Brett Brown wants to let them play and it's become more of a player's league. But sometimes right. you have to call a timeout just to get them refocused or just to stop the bleeding of a run because everybody knows basketball is a game of runs and all you need to do is just stop their run, maybe stop the momentum with the timeout and then things will change and then maybe you'll help you get on a run and maybe turn the table. That's a good point that you made. Um, yeah, I think Brett Brown made some some coaching mistakes. There, there's no question about that. And, I mean, frankly, I think he's making some questionable choices, filling in as general manager until and a permanent one, which is a whole other mess in itself, thanks to, as you uh, pointed out, the, the Philangelo fiasco, right? But, yeah, and I think that that sealed our fate as well. But, again, you know, Brett, they, they signed Brett as a coach uh, to, to an extension for a reason. You know, he has to grow as well, and I think that he does. I like the fact that he comes from the San Antonio Spurs organization. I think that he has the, the makings of a good coach. But yeah, without question, you, you hit it right on the head. He made some some questionable uh, coaching decisions that he's going to have to learn from and get better from. You've seen the game of basketball change, uh, especially over these past two or three decades. The biggest thing I've noticed is really the evolution or de-evolution of the big man, the use of the big man in basketball. Now you have guys who are good for screen and rolls and, and pick and rolls and things like that, but I feel like the age of the dominant center it might be over. Yeah, I think so. I mean, down it's like <laughs> I don't think you get specked as a big if you don't have an awesome shot. Anthony Davis, I mean my goodness, I mean does it get more dominant than Anthony Davis in the post and on the inside? When he actually said he's trying to work his outside shot, that's when I'm like, okay, so you don't get true respect unless you have some form of an outside game. Me personally, I like traditional big men. Guys that get into the post, get to team some easy buffs, um, set the tone defensively, who stay rugged inside the paint. I, I still like that, you know. But obviously, for whatever reason, is just trying to move away with that. This whole stretch forward thing. Like I remember when a few seasons ago, I made a trade for Thaddeus Young, who to me is a small forward, maybe something of a two guard, but he's definitely a small forward. He's like a small forward two guard player. And there was talks about Minnesota making him their starting power forward. And I was like, what? It's like, I just didn't see him as a power forward, but I guess he just wanted somebody that could just go down there. Didn't the intangibles that would go into being a power forward didn't matter as much, right? I think that somebody who could just step outside, make some shots. You have some ability on defense. I mean, a lot of teams want to go small nowadays. I and mean, that's the, you know, the way the league is trending, which is why somebody like Dwight Howard, who was like a monster, a beast, one of the best players in the game, you know, is, is brought out by the lowly Brooklyn Nets. Just to sign a, what, well, I don't even know, was it, I guess, was it like a veteran minimum type deal with the Washington Wizards? I mean, and yeah, and this is actually coming off a decent season for Dwight, because he actually played well for Charlotte. So, yeah, I mean, I just think that, you know, the league is just getting smaller, and then they're going to use big men, and they're going to use seven-footers. You know, you got to, 
I don't know, have some type of outside game because like that's the direction teams want to play and they want to move in and that, that's ultimately the style they want to play. Because I think of the the 90s, I think of some teams would use two centers maybe in the front line. I, I'll, I think about the uh, Lenny Wilkins Atlanta Hawks. You'd have Kevin Willis, who's basically a center, play power forward. You have John Konkak as a center and that maybe was slowly starting to fade away and maybe you had guys who weren't truly seven-footers at center like Zoe, well before the uh, Ben Wallace's and things like that, but Alonzo Mourning wasn't seven foot, six ten, six nine, six eleven. You know, nitpicking by inches and stuff like that. wasn't a true seven footer, but he was a true center. I feel like if they were asked to do that in the eighties or nineties to become, you know, better shooters, expand their game, it would have happened. But I don't think they would have uh, abandoned the whole back to the basket type of style of play that you. You don't see that much anymore. It's funny. You even look at Jordan, and we mentioned Jordan. Jordan was really good at backing somebody down when it came to getting into the post. I mean, I feel like that's lost among guards in general, too. Yeah. I think, man, defense isn't what it used to be in the NBA. I just don't think that the commitment to play defense is quite there um, at times. Even for teams that are considered good defensive teams, that's just how it is. I think that's all about scoring a lot of points and, and playing up and down basketball. Now, I guess we can kind of be successful with that postseason now. I mean, it's just you're just saying a lot of things, I think, that are just more towards scoring points, going small. And, you know, you think about the situation Jaleel Okafor is in right now. Like he's probably as traditional big man as it gets. Now he's just trying to relearn the position that he had dominated in a certain way for so long just to latch on with the team. He was just our number three overall pick. Um, and the situation with Embiid happened. Um, and then, you know, he obviously needs to find a new home at that point. But he didn't even, things didn't even pan out with Brooklyn. And now he's just working out, hoping for an offer, might land over Miami, things like that. But he's, just, he's the definition of a traditional big guy. And he's trying to put like an outside jump or something like that, mid-range jump, a 20-foot jump in his game was Arsenal just to get into a league, whereas I feel like his best strengths is what they've always been, is playing low and being probably, you know, as automatic as it gets from the low post in terms of scoring. So it's setting a precedent where it's like, you know, hey, if you want to, you know, survive long-term league, you have to be more versatile. You know, kind of like in the NFL with running backs, you know, they want they prefer backs to, to not only be able to burst out the backfield, but also be able to catch the ball, kind of like Le'Veon Bell, right? He's like a running back wide receiver type fisker, so... I personally like this play, but I think the league is moving further and further away from it. Do you feel there is a particular aspect in the NBA or in basketball in general that is becoming a lost art? Um, well, I mean, the only thing that I can, you know, complain about a lot is that I just think that players nowadays just they aren't naturally as competitive. As, at least as it appeared that players were back in the day. Um, I think that, you know, that thing's all about you know, the super team thing is the thing. It's a new trend. Um, but I think that also, to some level, while it also speaks to, you know, preserving your body over the two game season, I have to do as much. I understand all of that. But I think there's also an element to it where it, it, you just take some of the competitive spirit out of it. Like, high-profile matchups in the NBA. To me, that's what it's all about. Like, when, when two great players are opposed against each other, and they're leading well-balanced teams behind them. I like that kind of stuff. And I miss that about the NBA because there was a point in time where that was the case. But they, I mean, there were some really some good, deep and talented teams in the NBA, but they, they seem like there always seemed to be a lot of good matchups. And nowadays, more and more, you'll find that these guys are playing on the same team. And, you know, that's that to me, I guess, is what I personally think is just, you know, just slowly deteriorating it's just those high profile matchups because you had it on paper but you had you know in the finals but it was like the teams 
you know, like the finals this past year, I think was it was a stain on the league a little bit. I mean, it, it just wasn't really good. It wasn't intriguing. It wasn't exhilarating. None of those things. But we've had those kinds of matchups in the past. But I think that more you're just seeing guys, you know, just want to team up as opposed to just go against each other in the postseason. I kind of miss those those elements like AI versus Vince Carter. You remember that series? Um, you know, stuff like that. Um, Wasn't that the one where I think that's went to the uh, graduation and came back and missed a shot. Was that the same? Yeah, that's very good. Yeah, that was the one. Yeah. Missed it. Missed the buzzer day. And this is the game. I mean, like, <laughs> to me, that's the one of the best series I've ever seen, you know, ever. And, um, and I miss those duels, man. I miss that, you know. But that's, I mean, that's just the way it is. Leave nothing stay. My mom always says nothing stays same forever, you know. And, you know, you just roll the changes. Um, I still love the sport. I still watch it. But, I mean, there are some things that I wish, you know, weren't happening. But they are. And I think that's what it is. I just that, you know, players wanting to, to beat the other player. And now they just want to just team up with guys. Like, I'm, I'm, I keep reading reports that, you know, LeBron wants to play with KD. And, and that is a possibility that, K, that KD may consider playing with him. I mean, like, if that happens, I, I don't – that might be like, all right, I think it's time to take a break from the league for me. But, I mean, those things are just out there. And, I mean, they're just rumors. They're just reports. But, um, you know, the fact that those things are even discussed and, and debated on talk shows, I mean, it just lets you know kind of where players of today, where their mindsets are. It's funny. We were talking about that series – I just, it made me just think about a really stealthily good series. I don't remember the year, and I was just trying to look it up. But that series between Charlotte, the Hornets, and the Magic, it was the last season before they moved to New Orleans, and it was McGrady was on Orlando, and it was Baron Davis, and, and Tracy McGrady was talking too. all the trash, like, yeah, this will be the last game in Charlotte, and ended up, Charlotte ended up winning that series. Yeah, uh, I remember that. And that was a series, one of the probably few series in the post-Jordan era that I really like that wasn't a Wizards playoff series. That was really a very intriguing series, and you don't see those things like that anymore. Maybe first round of this year's playoff, especially in the East, was very exciting. Second round was very exciting, even though we sort of knew where what was going to happen. It just all grinded to a halt once you got to the conference finals in the East. But the West, Western Conference Finals, that was very interesting. But other than that, yeah, I, I, it's the interest got to the point where... I mean, I was looking forward to the Stanley Cup more than I was looking forward to the NBA Finals. At least it was something different. Yeah, I was too. And I'm not the biggest NHL fan. But I mean, like, yeah, I think that there was more intrigue with uh, the Stanley Cup. If Boston were healthy, I, I would have preferred to see Boston there. But I mean, I think that I just wanted to see Puget just from the standpoint that LeBron James, I think that was the best matchup we could get. It just wasn't a good matchup. I mean, but I can't say that without being a hater. I don't think it was it was the NBA at its best this past June. And like I mean, what, what intriguing matchup do you have? I think this year, Jazz and uh, the Thunder that was somewhat intriguing. I mean, when Westbrook wasn't snapping, man, it's just I mean that there was some intrigue there. But I don't know if I really call any first round series. I was just like, you know what, this was this was awesome. I mean, if you want to say Indiana and Cleveland, it, it was okay. It was an okay series. But what did it for me is when I think Indiana blew chances. Let it go to Game Seven against LeBron. I I think that it's over. LeBron is the kind of player you got to put him away early. And I think once Cleveland did that, it, the series just became predictable. It was okay, but I don't I don't think it was great. And I think that's what I want to see. I mean, it's like you have the best chance of seeing great basketball in the playoffs. And it just makes the first and second round almost kind of pointless to watch because, you know, teams playing in those rounds 
most of the teams playing those rounds uh, won't affect the ultimate outcome, which is who was going to hoist the uh, Larry O'Brien Trophy at the end of the year. Do you think Cavaliers-Rockets would have been a better series? I do. I think it was better. I also think Cleveland had a good chance to win that series. I just do. I think it would have been a much better series. Uh, no wonder, we're like to your point, it would have been so different, right? And I think that, you know, even if James Harden had dragged the team minus Chris Paul, I'd still think it more to watch as opposed to the Warriors just kind of toying with the Cavaliers, toying with LeBron James, the best player in the NBA. I mean, I just think that had they have, have we got the Rockets pass matchup, it would have been more fun. It would have been deeper. The games would have been more intense. The, the outcome would have been more up in the air, so to speak. That's how I see it. I think if Celtics had made it through and ended up facing the Rockets, you would have just seen the montage of the would have talked about 86 they would have talked about 82 how the celtics basically lead the all-time series in the finals and things like that you would have got a lot of nostalgia callbacks to olajuwon to bird to ralph sampson you know the big three and things like that and the original big three if you can call them the big three there's been so many teams that have had trio of players that you can't really say that they're the original big three but, yeah, you would have seen a lot of callbacks to that, and I think that would have made it a little more interesting. This young team that's basically playing with one arm tied behind their back, doesn't know any better, taking on the Rockets. Golden State, it would have been a slaughter. It would have been like those first post-Jordan finals where some of them were just a drag. Just Nets, Lakers, Pacers, Lakers, not very fun to watch. Yeah, it was what it was. But I think that this year is going to be different. Just with that player, LeBron is in the same conferences as Golden State. And I think that's going to be an interesting storyline to see how that plays out. And uh, the East grabs. So you take the intrigue where you can get it there. And I mean, it's going to be a fun race. Kind of like when Michael Jordan, that first year after Jordan retired the first time, something like that. Back then, you know, everybody felt like they had a chance to be like, oh, snap, Jordan is retired. Let's do this. Let's, let's, let's do the business. Let's, let's try to get to the finals and, and, and see if we can win this thing. And I think you're going to see that kind of rejuvenation. I mean, listen, I think just from the Wizards standpoint, I think the Wizards made some 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 low-key good moves, especially if they can figure out a way to use uh, Dwight Howard effectively to their advantage. I think they could be a good thing. They can make some noise. They could be a sleeper, um, at least on paper. We'll see how that pans out. But um, I think that, you know, teams are going for it, man. And it's, I think that that is going to be exciting honestly like i i hate giving the celtics credit for anything man but let's say if they were to get to the finals in one piece and going up against Golden state i think that's a series boston could win actually so we'll see man i think that this year it might be a good year a good positive year for the nba and we'll see how it pans out i think most of the entries in the east and i think we could see some surprises out west it's funny a friend of mine always said washington for the past few years had a team built to beat the Cavs, but just could never get to the Cavs in the conference finals they get derailed by toronto they get derailed by the Bulls. They'd get derailed by Atlanta. That one series with Paul Pierce probably be the greatest Wizards playoff series ever since they beat the Bulls in like the mid-2000s. That was an example. If they got past Atlanta, maybe they could have beat Cleveland and still probably lost to Golden State or San Antonio. I, I don't even remember who Cleveland ended up facing the finals. It probably was Golden State, but I feel like if Washington wins the Eastern Conference, if they ever win the Eastern Conference again, knowing how strong the West is, I think Wizards fans will be happy enough. So, yeah, I mean, to me, I don't think you can ever understate the accomplishment of reaching the finals. I think that's something to celebrate, for sure. But I think it also sets the anticipation for bigger and better accomplishments after that. So, yeah, I mean, let's say the Wizards go to the finals next year, right? Yeah, I think the fans should be content with that. You know, would they be content with that the following year? The year after that, probably not. Because now it's like, all right, now how are we going to improve and, and get over the hump and, and actually win it all? 
Yeah, I think that there were opportunities and times where I felt like the Wizards were better than Cleveland, frankly, especially like in 06, 07, 08, all of those years when, you know, in uh, LeBron's early career. But somehow Cleveland just kept finding a way to pull it out. I mean, there were years where I thought that the Wizards were a better team on paper. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think a finals appearance especially in the aftermath of Capitals winning the Stanley Cup. Yeah, that would be very satisfying for DC sports fans. Going back to what we were talking about, things that may be truly lost in the NBA, and I feel like it's going down to college basketball. The mid-range shot, that's something that a lot of people don't do anymore. I think everybody's either going for the high-flying aspect or they're going to try to be like Steph Curry. And the problem is you see that, especially during NCAA tournament time, everybody wants to be the hero. And I've seen games where teams lose. They're down by one. All they need is two. All they need to do is drive to the basket. They decide they want to take a 30-foot three-pointer when they don't need to, and they've lost too many games. And that's a case that... That basketball IQ is something that's missed a lot often. Everybody, I know you get in the rhythm of the game, but sometimes you got to take the smart shot. Yeah, uh, Larry Brown can't coach in today's NBA. He hated outside shots. Unless it was Reggie Miller taking shots for him from the outside. I mean, I just think that he wasn't a big fan of the three-point side. You know, I've, I've read that. My observation is that he wasn't. You know, my point is, is like, that's really what it's all about nowadays, man. It's like, it's all about the outside shot. You need shooters. That's why it's like Trey Young. Like, everybody wants the next Steph Curry. They get the hint that he's the next Steph Curry, then, hey, we're going to give him a shot. Just for the simple fact that we want somebody that can light it up like Steph. I mean, yeah, I think shooters are imperative in today's game because that's the direction it's trending toward. And that's where it's at. And good shooters, they're hard to find. You know, they just are. So it's like whenever you can snag one, whether it's, you know, high in the draft or still one late in the draft, you know, you definitely want to have it in your arsenal. But I think that some of the things that we did, for example, tried to get a late first rounder. We drafted him for his shooting. I think there was a guy we picked up in the second. Somehow we made a lot of deals in the second round. I think it's uh, Milton. He has a shot May. Transitional to the NBA, if he makes an NBA roster. I think that we, you know, once the draft moved along, we were looking for shooters. And it speaks to the trend that's going on in the NBA today. I think that, you know, teams need outside shooters, man. That's just where it's going. They need guys to knock down shots. Teams had to respect that. So I just think that you're right. I mean, it just, to me, I think as, as great as a shooter as Steph Curry is, I hate his shot selection. I hate it. I hate it. I hate the shot selection, but the guy, he drills more shots than he misses, but his shot selection to me is awful. But, hey, I can't argue with greatness. He's a great shooter. But, yeah, I think that teams are always on the hunt for new shooters because I think to have a viable chance in today's NBA, you got to have Is there a matchup that you always wanted to see in the NBA Finals that we never got a chance to see? I know there's been so many different teams where you're thinking, what if this happened? What if that happened? Is there a particular matchup in the past you would have love to see you know that year when the magic went i was like oh damn the magic made it to the finals i mean it was a great run that they had but i felt like the league everybody was really anticipating kobe versus lebron you know the, the puppet commercials all of that stuff i just think that is the one that, that comes to mind for me i would have liked to have seen that i think kobe has one of the greatest competitive spirits ever in the game I think LeBron, talent-wise, is better than Kobe Bryant. Has always been better than Kobe from a talent standpoint. But I think that would have been a great final matchup. And it never really, I mean, it came close. I think that was probably the closest it came. was I think that was 2009, maybe. Might have been 2009. But that's the one that comes to mind. There are probably other ones. But like, when I'm asked that, that's the one I always wish we could have seen. Kobe versus LeBron. I don't care which uniform they were wearing. I just wanted to see that matchup in the finals. I will say the Clutch City Rockets against the Bulls. The biggest thing was 
The Bulls had a shot even in their weakened state before they got Rodman. I feel like if they got past Orlando, they would have got past Indiana and they would have played Houston. Whether they would have beaten the Rockets who had just got Clyde, I, I don't know. But it would have been a very interesting, the finals, Pippen and Jordan against Olajuwon and Drexler would have made a very interesting finals. Um, Yeah, I would have liked to have seen that too. I would have been curious to see how they would have matched up against, how the Bulls, I mean, would have matched up against that Rockets team. So listen, they're, they're great. Dynasty's greatness is solidified. But man, I mean, I can't imagine how much higher, you know, their legacy would have ascended by beating the Rockets team because it would have been a fun matchup. And it would have been nice to see how the Bulls would have handled a dominant big man like Akeem. You know, they had success against Patrick Ewing and guys like that. But I just think that Akeem was sort of on another level. He brought a different challenge. Not to take anything away from Patrick Ewing, you know what I mean? But I just think that that would have posed a different challenge. I think the way the Rockets were built, it would have posed challenges for the Bulls. It would have been an interesting matchup. Me personally, I think somehow, some way, Michael would have found a way to win that series. But who knows? But yeah, I'm, I'm right with you. Like right next to uh, Kobe LeBron, that's that's another matchup by which we've been seeing. Now think about it. If you had a team with Olajuwon, Barkley, Drexler against those Bulls with Rodman and Jordan and Pippen, that would have been a very exciting finals as well. Yeah. And I mean, there are so many matchups. I mean, man, if I could just sit here and reflect on that all day, I don't know, man. I mean, there's just so many that come to mind. But those are the two that stand out. It's Bulls, Rockets. A Kobe LeBron matchup. I feel like most of the good teams throughout the NBA, the truly good teams, now they're into the finals, with the exception of the Sacramento Kings. I Ladies think that's one reasons. of the teams that's never found their way there, right? I think also the way. I'll tell you what, it, it was interesting to me, it was surprising when Dallas actually got there and won it against Miami in, in 2011. I mean, like, even Dallas, like, I, I always thought that teams would have played it before the Mavericks. That's how I always felt. But, I mean, even they won a championship. So, I think that, to my mind, in my years of watching basketball, the only good teams that never even at least made it that far was probably Sacramento. I feel like the Jail Blazers, they were very close, too, to differentiate them from the early 90s Blazers. But, yeah, seeing those matchups maybe against the Sixers or against the Pistons or maybe even against the Nets, maybe that would have made it a little more interesting, the contrastive yeah. styles and things like that. But, yeah, the Kings, really the Kings and the Blazers. Yeah, the Blazers playoff series where... They they missed the free throws, and then Ori hits that buzzer beater to send the Lakers to the finals. I feel like even with the cloud of the Tim Donaghy stuff going around, I feel like that was a team that yeah. probably should have aspired for more as well. Yeah. I'll tell you what. I mean, I think I would have had a lot fun watching the Blazers and the Pacers in 2000. I think that was a damn good series. But Paul has nobody to blame themselves. I mean, they had control of the game, and that was the start of the Lakers' rise, really. I mean, like, imagine if the Lakers hadn't have pulled that comeback off. Like, how much different things could have been for that Lakers from that point forward. You know what I mean? And I bet you there are still members of that Blazers team who still wonder about that and how and help um, change their fortune. It's just crazy, man. Like, when, when you blow leads. And mind you, uh, the Blazers were on the verge of making an impressive comeback themselves that year because they were down 3-1 in that series against the Lakers. And yeah, I thought it was done then. I pretty much stopped watching. And then, you you know, they uh, came back, made it a game seven, and were getting ready to give them the ultimate collapse, kind of like what you saw at Golden State do in, uh, was it, 2016? So, yeah, I think Portland had some good teams for the years, and they had the chances, and uh, that one in 2000, you're right. I mean, it was just, wow, 
that was one they had in hand. And I think they would have had a great chance of beating Indiana. And I think that would have been a good series. Not that the Lakers pace of series year was good. I thought there were some good moments, like the moments Kobe had to take over in a game late. I think that that expedited his growth at that time. I mean, there were some some memorable moments from that too. But yeah, I think Portland is another team that I think has some some golden opportunities at some point in time, especially during that Shaq Kobe era and things just never panned out. In addition to the Furs, who are um, you know achieving their own greatness in their own. And what so, I had such a great time talking about basketball. I was wondering if you could be able to come back for next edition, talk a little more about your career in journalism, about being a fan of Baltimore sports. Oh yeah, absolutely. No problem, man. I would love to do that. So if you guys tune into our next episode, we'll continue this conversation with Linwood Outlaw as we sway a little bit away from the NBA and basketball and talk about him becoming a journalist, fandom and being in a Baltimore sports and so many other different things. You've been listening to part one of my two-part interview with Linwood Outlaw. Next week, we conclude with Outlaw discussing his experience in the field of journalism, being a wrestling fan, and what it's like attending WrestleMania. To listen to some of our past episodes, go to thesportsrefuge.com or you can find them on Apple iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and Google Play. Until next time, this is Earl Holland saying thanks for listening to the Sports Refuge Podcast. Have a good one. You've been listening to the Sports Refuge Podcast. Tune in next time for more interviews on sports, pop culture, and everything in between. For more information on the show, go to the Sports Refuge website at www.thesportsrefuge.com. Follow us on Twitter at The Sports Refuge, on Instagram at Sports Refuge Sports Blog, and on Facebook at The Sports Refuge Sports Blog.